Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 22. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide, and in 1999, I founded the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident outdoors by using traditional skills, a few simple tools, and field-based experience. Whether you're looking to go from city slicker to competent outdoor professional, want to experience a remote expedition, or just want to learn a few new outdoor skills, we've got you covered. You can check out the show notes to this and all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. When you're there, click on the podcast button. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Lastly, the best way to keep up with our programs and trips is to join our email newsletter. And you can do that at jmbnews.com. Hi folks, Tim Smith here for episode 22 of the Jack Mountain Bushcraft podcast. I'm joined today uh, by Jenna Roselle Darcy. And Jenna is a professional forager and she doesn't like it when I use the word professional but I wanted to be able to differentiate what she does on a daily weekly monthly seasonal basis as opposed to someone who maybe goes out and picks a few blueberries in the summertime when they're ripe so how are you this morning Jenna I'm great good to have you here (laughs) it's good to be here so I'm slugging down my third cup of coffee and in perfect fashion Jenna has an herbal mix of you said sweet fern and Chaga, sweet mushroom. Chaga, awesome. So um, can you tell me a little bit about what you do uh, with regards to foraging and and, and how that works? Um, The bulk of my business is collecting wild edibles and or like flavoring herbs and selling them to restaurants and breweries and herbalists. Uh, I just started working with a like a CSA style where I was offering it just to anybody not a business rather but just like everyday people um, I'm not doing it this year but I, I, I'm looking for a way to offer it more to the general public rather than just restaurants and so I'm brainstorming about that right now if anybody cool. has any good ideas <laughs> awesome yeah them. get in touch um, so how how many years have you been into foraging for wild things from the forest and the fields uh as a business i think i'm in my fifth year so fifth year professional that's great um yeah how did you get started uh i mean were were wild edibles and food from the forest something you were into as a kid or is it something that maybe as an adult you jumped into um early childhood yes um my mother has always been an herbalist and so for a lot of my childhood she like taught me how to collect my own medicine and just made me aware that like we're living amidst all of these plants that we have relationships with that can be useful for us Mm -hmm. um and then I took a big break from it and didn't care about it at all for you know my teenage years and I went to college in New York City and realized that was the exact wrong place for me and then came back to Maine and ended up 
up in down east Maine homesteading, and that's where you know my interest was kind of rekindled. Um, just because there's a lot of edible food out there, and the landscape is uh, beautiful, and the resources are abundant and clean, and um, you know we were homesteading, and so we weren't like doomsday preppers or anything, but we were interested in you know how much can we sustain ourselves and so it came just as a, it was fun mostly as like the origin of it all is that it's just fun for me um we need as a culture we need something like a happy day prepper like somebody who's yeah. just, they're, they're out <laughs> doing it like playing on the landscape because it's fun and it's an enjoyable lifestyle right? yeah Where it's, like why would you not do this <laughs> right like we're not think we're not chicken little we don't think the end of the world is coming but right. if good you know, free range food is growing in the backyard. Why not eat it? Yes. As opposed to chemically laden garbage from the supermarket that's traveled on a truck and planes. That you have to and, pay for. Yeah, exactly. In many ways. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. A happy fun time prepper. Maybe yeah. that would be the uh, yeah the idea. Um, yeah, that's that's super cool. Um, uh, and five years ago, you just saw an, an opportunity and said, hey, maybe other people are interested or people that maybe don't have the time to get out and harvest these things themselves and don't know what they're looking for. Yeah. And that I think the progression was doing it for myself, for fun, and then realizing, oh, I like this a whole lot. How can I spend all of my time doing it? And then uh, started with doing a local farmer's market and everybody was super excited about it and so the response and the feedback I was getting was like okay there's an interest here um and then I don't remember how the seed got planted of transitioning from like farmer's market to direct sales to restaurants and things like that but I ended up doing uh, a little research and doing like a big email blast to some chefs across the country that looked like they might be into what I was offering and one of them one of them worked out and from there it was just word of mouth that's awesome yeah I think it was timing and luck I mean I did put in the work it was intentional but uh timing was definitely in my favor as far as like the cultural shift in the food world towards like towards forage foods yeah and I think it's you know having eaten a lot of wild stuff myself that you know it's it it just tastes better most of the time right than, i think so than stuff grown. i mean i have a biased palate for sure uh a lot of people don't agree with what i think is delicious <laughs> but that's why i give it to chefs and they make it good right you know what i mean like they'll do something with it that will be pretty much pleasing to most people's palates not just mine right yeah it just brings to mind eating on a couple of our northern trips when we go up with the Cree and, you know, eating beaver eyeball and things like that. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people, it's not part of the, you're not going to get a cereal box full of beaver eyeballs or something, but in the right context, it, it's great. You yeah. know, if it, you're hungry enough. <laughs> food it has so many like cultural, uh, a lot of cultural baggage, right? Like yeah, there's a scene so in a lot. movie that, uh, it was one of the Indiana Jones movies and everybody remembers it where they bring out the monkeys and they take the heads off and people eat the brains and stuff. And, you know, it gets the, the, the expected, ooh, ah, that's disgusting factor from the audience. But, yeah. um, you know, if you're living, 
close to the land that's a really good i mean if you've never eaten brains they're kind of like eggs they're they're you know kind of fatty and you know you can close your eyes and imagine it's scrambled eggs and it's no big deal yeah uh but yeah culture and food are sort of super intertwined and oh yeah uh, i mean we look at what other cultures eat and turn our noses up at it and likewise like i'm sure the roles reversed like looking at the american diet what are those guys doing like that's awful why would you eat that right so yeah context is a lot context is huge um so how much time would you figure like on a weekly basis that you're out actively in the in the in the woods looking for food uh right now four days a week and right now it's early july so all the everything's popping right it's not like uh, i could be out seven days a week 24 hours a day there's so much food out there right now like i can't even keep up it's that time of year when yeah i'm just drowning in it i can't keep up things are just like ripening and blooming and happening faster than i can possibly pick them that's an awesome first world problem to have yeah there's too much food for me yeah Yeah, my problem is is that we don't have electricity here, and we've got that propane fridge, but with only with so much room. And so, like, I can harvest the food, but then it's either eat it or like, how I my problem right now is figuring out how to preserve it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because we don't have a freezer, so canning, drying, working on all that right now in this new space. Yeah, I'm seated. I had the good fortune to come over to to Jenna's homestead this morning, and um, building a new building and uh the garden's planted and it looks it looks great it's sort of in your mind's eye out there in podcast land imagine like the idyllic little main homestead and that's where we're at that's what we're shooting for <laughs> um so if you were uh, we have a lot of young people listening to our program and i work with a lot of younger people who are interested in some way to make a living from the land um so in speaking to those people any bits of advice who people who would want to maybe follow in your footsteps um things of that nature well i've managed to get by on what i make um i'm definitely not getting rich off of it so as far as like how to how to make a lucrative living i'm not the one to ask (laughs) I think, well, but if I, you want to have a lot of fun and you're good at uh, living on a very small budget, then yeah, definitely go for it. Um, I think there's probably a lot of markets that I haven't tapped into, um, whether it be like, you could definitely be more focused than me, uh, maybe pick like a product that you could make and supply rather than just like offering the whole gamut of fresh edible wild foods. I think I haven't gone that route one because I don't know how to pick just one thing I want to do. I feel like there's so many, how do I pick one? I'm going to get bored. Um, and two, the regulatory framework as far as offering fresh food versus processed food, like you need a certified kitchen and there's a lot more legalities to work with. Um, so I haven't gone that route, but I think it probably would be more lucrative than, than what I'm doing. I just haven't, I've just been chasing my tail pretty much. I, 
I'm in a big transition period right now with my business, figuring out what what I want to do next because like how I'm doing it now actually isn't sustainable as a business model. Um, I'm just good at living on nothing, <laughs> which is a skill in itself. It's an awesome skill. We in in our camp we call it living the hobo lifestyle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so are there are there like regulatory issues? Say if say if someone wanted to jump into foraging and maybe selling their blueberries that they go and pick this summer, are there legal hoops they have to jump through in order to to do that? Well, it's different state to state for sure. Um, and as far as federally, I feel like there has not been any framework as of yet, but it is in the beginning stages of being looked at right now. So I don't, I don't actually know what they are currently. I know that they have a list of, uh, what they call it plants that are known to be safe, but it's a fairly small list that does not include a lot of the things that I offer just because they haven't had the time to go out and test all of those things um, in their federal labs, you know what I mean? So they can't approve them. And so, yeah, some of the things I'm offering may not be legal, but I'm confident that they're safe. Power to the people right there. <laughs> Who cares if it's illegal? They're notor- Nobody's the listening, right? Yeah, the government's notoriously bad at, uh, at doing those studies to determine safety. I remember... As a young guy studying field botany in Alaska with Boyd Schaefer, who was the instructor, this awesome old guy who, you know, I would I would have just I would have paid money just to sit and listen to him tell his stories cool. of all the crazy stuff he had done. I bet. Um, but he told us, taught us that they would um, essentially pen up sheep and feed them nothing but a certain plant for like sixty days, and if they started dying, they listed it as poisonous. So yeah, it was stuff like that. That's really not a very good way to to determine you know whether things are poisonous or not and also you know when in the plant's life cycle it's harvested and and what all part, those things how you process it exactly so, yeah. so all the things that like are commonplace to you knowing intimately the landscape and the plants that to the researchers they have no no idea yeah and if you're a researcher listening to this i'm not you know i'm not calling you out for being a bad person and but it's I, probably a matter of uh, funding too and yeah time so yeah i don't fault them for it i just don't trust them more than I trust myself no that's that would be silly that's an awesome point about you know about foraging um and just wild foods from the land in general you know the and a lot of people these days would rather trust a book but but like you're saying it's so much when you can trust yourself when you have that that knowledge that you've developed over time you know you can't there's no there's no substitute for that yeah um, so we were talking before we hit the record button and I told you that, uh, when I was a kid, I distinctly remember being told by the adults, like never eat anything with red berries. Yeah. And then as an adult, I come, three I, leaves or leaves of three, let it be. Yeah. Like, and like, then you look around, <laughs> everything has three leaves and red yeah. berries. And All the good stuff. There's as an adult studying it, I think I found that there's maybe two, maybe one, maybe two plants with with red berries that are poisonous. The only one that comes to mind is baneberry, where it's an actual berry. But I, everything else of the red berry that I can think of is edible. Maybe some of the honeysuckles you don't want to eat a lot of. But yeah. I, you know, as far as being like poisonous, where it's going to really hurt you, I can't think of, of any. But I'm sure that in your experience that you've come across lots of little myths like that, that, you know, things that, that, that need to die. They need to be taken out into the back 40, hit over the head with a shovel and buried. Buried deep. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know how to do that. I mean, I guess that has been part of my job, actually, is dispelling those myths Mm -hmm. and educating people. Uh, Also, a big part of my job is educating. I do a fair amount of classes, but even, like, with the people that I sell to, especially when I first started, like, now I have a, a core group of people that I sell to, and they're becoming year after year a little more familiar with what I have to offer but in the beginning I would give them my list of like okay here's what's ready and they're like I don't know what any of this is you have to tell me what to do with it so a lot of it was like educating them and you know there was hesitancy in the beginning because of a lot of the stigma attached to like red berries or whatever um so yeah that's been a large part of the process for me is re-educating people or uneducating people and then re-educating them um what's the the mark uh mark twain quote he says uh about about getting yourself into trouble he says it's not what you don't know it's what you know that ain't so right so (laughs) people they know things but they don't really know them. they think they know them yeah so yeah that's uh that's a huge i would imagine a huge thing it's a huge thing in me working with people and trying to teach them about wild foods and you know, because everybody knows if it's got three leaves, it's going to kill you. And if it's got red berries, you're going to die a slow, miserable death. And yeah. so are the 10 people closest to you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where the giant fear comes from, but it runs deep for some reason, which is strange because you'd think like uh, evolutionarily, you know, humans have our, our time on this planet. We've been eating wild food longer than we've not been eating it. So, like, why is it already so deeply ingrained, that fear? I don't know. I don't know either. But then I also have seen that, like, when you get people out there, I think that's my favorite part of teaching classes in the field, um, is when you, like, reintroduce people to that way of feeding themselves, it clicks. And you see it, like, instantly. They're like, oh, yeah. Like, this is what people are supposed to do. Like, my body is made for doing all of these motions and like I can feel the value of uh being outside for one and like feeding myself and then the diversity of nutrients that come from those foods like it just you see it all sort of come together for people and that feels really good yeah that's that's awesome and and yeah watching somebody when they have that aha moment when you're teaching in class where they eat something and and they think it's actually good. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best part when it actually tastes good. So we have uh, just a fun little story. Every year, this this exact thing happens to me every year where we will show on some of our longer courses. Um, plant, everybody says, oh, my, my bug bites really itch. So I show them the, the common plantain. Yeah. And we call it the bug bite or the bee sting plant. And you chew it up and you, and you put it on the, the bite and it pulls the itch out. So... It gets rid of it, but every every year for the last 20 years, every single year, like two days after I show somebody that, they said, hey, hey, Tim, uh, you know that thing you showed us with the plantain? Like, that actually works. <laughs> As if everything else I told them was a total lie that I made up on the spot, right? Yeah, so. yeah like it's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. weren't lying, man. Yeah, but everything else was a lie, right? <laughs> So um, I'm just curious. I'm sure that there are a few plants that you like to eat, one, five, I don't know how many, but that maybe other people don't really know about, <clears throat> kind of like a hidden gem, right, that you really you really enjoy and maybe aren't covered in the books or the literature. So anything anything come to mind? Um, 
Yes. I think what I would really like to encourage people to try is a lot of our invasive plants happen to be exceptionally delicious. And I think those are a worthwhile place to start because they're abundant and aggressively so. Like you, we couldn't kill them if we tried? No. We, yeah. So, uh, so like Japanese knotweed. Okay, yeah. Use it just like rhubarb. Right. Like if you cook it, then it has more of a vegetable-like flavor, but I find, or uh, if you cook it without a sweetener, but if you cook it like you would make like a strawberry rhubarb jam or a pie or something like that, that has like a sweet fruit, uh, then it tastes just like rhubarb. Or my favorite way is just eat it raw. Mm-hmm. It's like tart, bright, like you can do so many things with it. Pretty much just any recipe that calls for rhubarb, you can use the Japanese knotweed interchangeably. So that stuff's not hard to find. No, I think it's... the only the only tough thing about collecting these invasives is they tend to like uh, like roadsides, mm-hmm. and ditches, and like places where you wouldn't necessarily want to collect food. Though I mean, I'm not opposed to if it's like a back road and it's not like right in the ditch, mm-hmm. I'll still grab it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you want to be careful of the environment where you're out of and make sure it's not gross um but that said even they're not hard to find so japanese knotweed i'd highly encourage that um what was the other one garlic mustard so good it's so good and it's so invasive um you i i, I mean i guess Maybe not everybody would like it, but if you like a pungent flavored green vegetable, then you're going to like it. And even if you don't, like you can, you don't have to eat like a whole plateful of it. You can use it as like an herb because it does have a very strong flavor. So like use it to um, flavor like a vinaigrette or something like that rather than like cooking up a whole mess of it. Even though I like it that way. Or you can just mix it in with your salads or your other mixed greens. Make it a really good pesto. Nice. That brings to mind something that, you know, when we're doing wild foods and say you're out and somebody tries like a leaf or whatever and they're eating it and they're like, oh, I don't really like it. But then you have to explain to them like, you know, incorporating wild foods into your diet isn't just going out and eating raw green leaves all the time. Like, you know, get a a handful of it and cook it with some bacon in the bacon grease and then people love it. Bacon fixes everything. Yeah. Bacon fixes it. Bacon, butter, you know, vinegar, all those flavors that we eat as part of our regular diet, you know, foraging and utilizing wild foods isn't necessarily just going out and eating raw greens and flowers. It's it's bringing it back to the kitchen and making it taste good. Yeah. Using it with your regular food. So I, you know, for example, I'll ask somebody if they say they don't like something like, well, do you just go to the grocery store and stand there and eat raw green lettuce with right. nothing on it? Right. No, you slather the super fatty ranch dressing. That makes it good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, cool. Oh, uh, autumn olives is another one that people should look out for. And those are easy to spot when they're ripe. Um, and they're so good and versatile. You can go like sweet or savory. Um, they make a really cool fruit leather and you can also all catch up. You can use them like a tomato. You know what I mean? Um, I guess maybe not. Like, in like let them rot and then chuck them at your neighbor's car. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You could do that. Um, I maybe wouldn't make like a pasta sauce out of them, but like ketchup or barbecue sauce like 
tangy. They're tangy tomato flavor. So yeah, you can go savory or sweet and they're super good and they're everywhere and they're super nutritious. Oh, um, and your standard garden weeds is something that I push on people a lot because everybody has them in their garden and I think they taste just as good as most of your salad greens that you're growing in those rows anyways and they don't take any input from you like they pretty much grow themselves and instead of like pulling them out and babying your tender little spinach you could just let your lamb's quarters or your purslane grow and add that to your salad in addition to your cultivated greens you know lamb's quarters probably the green that i eat the most of oh it's, it's like so the, good it's spinach we call it the steven seagal of the plant world because <laughs> i think it was 1990 he was in a movie called hard to kill so like yeah it's gonna it's come perfect. back perfect yes if you can't yeah if you can't beat them eat them with regards to weeds amen that's what i keep telling my farmer friends and they hate me for it <laughs> but then i come pull their weeds and it makes everything okay i think it's the department of agriculture has a list of like the 20 most nutritious plants and they're all weeds and eight of the top 10 are the common garden weeds yeah right so they're so good for you but instead of spending, and they're so easy to grow <laughs> but we spend billions of dollars a year getting harsh chemicals to try to kill them instead of just eating them but yeah, anyway that's a that's a black hole, of, yep. a philosophical black hole we won't go down right now. Okay. So t can you tell us how can people find you? People want to learn more about your the classes you offer, more about the, the products that you're offering. How do they find you? Um, I'm online on Instagram at Jenna Roselle. That's J-E-N-N-A-R-O-Z-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. And on Facebook at the same name. Cool, and we will put links to those in the show notes. Um, so this is a podcast that I've wanted to do for a long time since we met a couple of winters ago, and, and yeah. thank you for being a good sport. And, Thanks for coming over. And uh, yeah, so definitely check out um, check Jenna out online. She's got some great inspirational photos, and if you want to get more wild foods into your diet, definitely get in touch with her and come on out for, for a workshop. Yeah. They're a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Okay. We'll see you next time.